my friend. Welcome to the XO Conversations podcast. I'm your curious host, Rishma Walji. This podcast is all about personal growth and loving life, usually with a research and science twist. If you want to live your own extraordinary life, you can find all my resources and tips on the website, livingxo.com. And you can get insider access information if you subscribe to my mailing list, livingxo.com forward slash subscribe. Today, we're exploring the topic of social media and wellness. Be sure to check out the other more personal episode on the topic too, if you're working through your own thoughts and feelings about social media. Today, we're talking to an expert specifically about how to protect your mental wellness when using your devices. My guest is Dr. Don Grant. He's funny and he makes some very interesting, sometimes controversial and realistic points about social media in general. And as users of social media, I thought it would be important to share. I know this one might be tough because of how dependent we are on our platforms. And when I think about if I want to publish an episode, I'm really trying not to get caught in the trap of only creating what I think people want to hear or rushing to publish an episode because people are waiting for it and I need to be consistent, which of course is true. It really is the case in this type of content work. But I try to make my decisions about what to publish based on whether I think my work is of value. And truth be told, the measuring stick for that is often me projecting into the future. And if I think one day my daughters might listen and if it might help them, then I publish it. So this is one of those episodes, one that I am fascinated by, but not one that many people want to discuss with me and not one that many people are willing to admit that they need to hear. And I'm in it because I want to live the very best version of myself for my kids who might listen to this tomorrow. So thank you for being here. Thank you, firstly, so much, Vishma, for inviting me to participate in this. Uh, as we've discussed and we've talked offline, anyone who's interested in this thing that I thought for years or was worried for years that no one was interested in, that people are, it's important. And uh, so my name is Dr. Don Grant. I'm a media psychologist. Um, I'm also the president of the American Psychological Association, Division 46, which is the Society for Media Psychology and Technology. I am the executive director of Outpatient Services for Newport Healthcare and recently opened a PHP IOP treatment program for adolescents and teens in Santa Monica, California. Let's get it out there that this is a hard topic. Often people feel conflicted about their devices in general and social media in particular. We want to minimize our time with technology and optimize our real world lives. But we're also so dependent on technology and connected to our devices all the time. Why do we have such a hard time disconnecting? And I want to just tell uh, everyone and let them know I am not anti-technology. I am all about it. Yeah. And and it is useful. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many great things and we can talk about that. You know, if we get into it, I absolutely am about it. But what I teach and what I work with is healthy device management and the practice of good digital citizenship, because this is a really uh, kind of new phenomenon, these devices, even though it feels like they've been around forever. They're really only around, let's even say 20 years. And the idea of the internet, that's pretty new too. 
why do I do this work? Sometimes I don't know because what it takes to keep up with it and state of the art in the morning is obsolete by noon. There's so many things in startups and technologies that we think will happen and then they don't, but it's here to stay and it's very useful. Dr. Grant talks about these terms, digital immigrant and digital native. He describes himself, and I'm including myself in there, as the last generation of digital immigrants, people who learn to use computers and technology at some point in their adult lives, as opposed to digital natives who were born into the digital age. He thinks of our experiences as very different, which of course they are. Generationally, there has been a fundamental shift in the next generation, not only that they're exposed to more information and more access, but also that it's happening at a much faster rate. They think and process information differently and interact with others differently. Even as adults from a non-digital world, our lives have shifted as well. Amongst all these changes in our lives, Dr. Grant stresses the importance of connection. The power of human connection. Now, the fact that you and I can be in different countries, in different time zones, and be able to connect this way, and then you can connect with your audience, this is one of the amazing things. However, I will never, ever, and my research proves this, my my first research study showed this, demonstrated it, I will never believe, even though this is great for distal connection, for people who are geographically or otherwise compromised, the ability to connect. We saw this, of course, during the pandemic, but you will never convince me that it is better than the virtue, the value, and the valence of IRL in real life connection. So a hybrid, a blend. So, But it's here to stay. But what I'm worried about is that you don't miss what you don't know. Oh, whether it's right or wrong, I feel charged as the last generations of digital immigrants to remind, teach the generations who don't know the value some important things. And you can call me a geek. You can call me whatever you want. And I will, I qualify things like, oh my goodness, the lost art of the love letter. I'm not trying to do a text. And I'm certainly, and I teach the kids I work with, a breakup text. I'll tell you, if some boy ever tried to do a breakup text (laughs) to my daughter, photo albums. We have a million pictures in our phone. But what's going to happen is we're going to have green screens in our homes. So you'll be able to digitally project. But I just don't think people are going to be projecting like a, a rolling photo album, and we don't curate the pictures. We take 19,000 selfies or 16,000 shots of something, and we never curate them. We never go through. I mean, there's just certain things. The value, you can write LOL all you want, but it is never going to have the psychological, the neurological, or the covalent bonding of when you're sitting with friends and you are laughing out loud. And if you think about your memories with your people and your connections, and as Aronson says, and I believe as humans, we are social animals. If you think back to the best times with your crew or your people or your family, I don't think they're video based right now. Now, someday maybe they'll be holographic or virtual reality, but when you think back to the times when you came together for good times, for bad times, They were in person. If you think about our lives, we're so dependent on our technology. It's almost impossible to imagine a way to live without it. 
and I'm constantly trying to balance this need to use it and also to try to stay away from it. (laughs) Recently, I was telling someone that my car is so old that it has no technology. I mean, nothing. I really would love to have some Bluetooth or a GPS. The bar is really low. But when it comes to my phone and social media in particular, people get dependent on it in a way that really honestly scares me. I remember maybe dating myself when the Blackberry was going to change the world because before that we had those little like, yo, those little flip phones. It was like, what's up? But we used to call it, or some of us used to call it, kind of joking, the Crackberry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Because we thought it was so addictive. We had no idea that a few years later, Apple was going to come out with something called an iPhone in 2007. So people ask me what I think the inflection point was where it tipped. And this is an opinion. I believe that the change happened when the internet became portable. And that happened with the iPhone. And it was amazing. But I think that the difference happened when the internet became portable and we started being drawn into the vortex that the coders and even the scions and the people who are uh, Silicon Valley types, they boast about this and they know and they tell us their goal is to keep you in. Once they draw you into this fun house, they don't want you to leave. That's the goal. And coders actually have contests amongst themselves to see which ones can do the codes that can keep us in longer. But I'm also going to remind your audience that if it's free, you're the product. Yeah, for sure. So their goal is to get you in there so they can keep you in there to show you ads. So we are up against such a force field. We are up against coders and, and platforms that psychologically leverage something called the limbic, it's the limbic system. It's the variable rewards. So the variable reward system is what was leveraged. It's basically for people to make make it easy. It's the slot machine. So when you pull a slot machine, you don't know what's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. So there's something called the variable reward system. It's dopamine and adrenaline and maybe a little cortisol, but it's very exciting. So people sit there and they pull, 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 pull. Same thing with devices. Now, stay with me. They could not put a lever on one of these phones, things, right? The closest they could do was what? What is the same action like this? Push Scroll. to push to refresh. It's the same. It's the closest they could come. So every time we push to refresh or we scroll or doom scroll, then we don't know what's next. We don't know what's next. We don't know what's next. We don't. So there's something is a flaw in the human system, in, in the limbic system, uh, that really likes that variable rewards. Dr. Grant doesn't go so far as calling it an addiction. I think there are some rules around what can be officially classified as such. But in my mind, it's similar to the way I would think about sugar. It's accepted in society. No one wants to give it up, but we are hooked on it in a way that resembles other addictive behaviors or substances. So what do we do about it? We know we can't go totally off grid, but we also don't want to get consumed by technology. Dr. Grant argues to pause before you post. Okay, so my friends know what's going on in my life. They do. So if I'm going to put something out on social, you don't have to tell me, but I wonder, what is your real motive? So do you contemplate what you're posting? Do you think about it? 
Do you edit it? Do you, what, what is your real reason? And what is your real reason for posting, sharing, liking, or not? Because a lot of this stuff, I'm going to propose something crazy that's not new for me. But uh, <laughs> when I was first talking about devices 15 years ago, people thought it was nuts. Uh, I'm going to propose that a significant portion of what we post is really meant for one person. So how do you know? How do you know if you need a break from your phone or from social media? From my experience, both clinically and personally, I think if you are overly stressed, always picking up your phone almost as a habit or an automated reaction, if you're upset by what you're looking at, if you feel worse, then it's something to pay attention to. It's always about awareness because it's easy to deny that there's an issue at all or to avoid dealing with it. The first thing is admitting that you might have an issue. You don't have to tell anyone, but you really might want to think about a few things. And it's like when you look at any kind of issue in your life. So I go this way. I look at, okay, if I'm rigorously honest, is this behavior, meaning our relationship with devices, in any way compromising or negatively impacting? First, my biological life, then my psychological state, then my sociological experiences, then my academic slash career, then my environmental. And if you look at it and you're rigorously honest and you see that it is negatively impacting, then you want to look at, okay, what am I willing to consider being open to maybe thinking about blah, 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 dot, 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 ellipses. I might change a behavior. This might be a harder question, but how do you separate, let's say, the benefits and the negatives? So say someone is using their devices for work or something like that, but then it's interfering on their personal life. How do you recommend people separate those? It, it takes a lot of um, awareness, I think, to understand what you're doing for work and what you're doing for personal, because all of it is on one device often. Like I'm not getting distracted by my digital refrigerator, right? But you get distracted by your phone, which is it has your work stuff. And it, you know, so there is, how do you separate those two uh, goals? That's a great question. And I'm going to start up by saying, I talk to a lot of parents who say, my kid is on their phone and their device all the time. I'm like, okay, okay. we don't have to like it, but this is how kids communicate. So if you talk to my parents, they would have complained that I was on the phone. That was a real old school phone. And so my parents just complained about that. And I finally wore them down. And first they got me, first they got this thing called call waiting. Sorry if I'm dating myself because I was always on the phone as a teenager. And I was talking to my girlfriend or I was doing whatever. And so they got called waiting. But the problem with call waiting was I never clicked over. So if I was talking to someone I wanted to talk to, I wouldn't click over. So I wore my poor parents down and they got me that my own phone line because they were ducks. So I tell parents, you have to realize that kids don't talk on the phone anymore. Their voicemails are full. They text and they DM. So for parents, I say, I want to say this part, if there's any parents. So yeah, if it looks like your kid's on the phone, it's what you were talking or the device, it's what you were talking about. You want to separate out what is communication. What is valuable or useful or necessary use of the device? Because we use it for everything. And what is the other? So I, I mentioned doom scrolling. 
Doom scrolling is when you excessively scroll or surf through bad news on social media or online. And Dr. Grant summarizes it as comparing and despairing. So I want everyone to remember all of our social media is self-curated, self-created, and self-managed. So it's our store window. It's our personal shop window where we can just put anything when there's no oversight, we have complete control, we can put anything out there that we want. It doesn't mean it's real. And would you agree that then if we're not good at managing our own emotions, we're likely managing our emotions in other ways, like using technology or doom scrolling because we feel guilty and want to feel bad and cry or like if we can't manage our emotions, we're using technology to self-sabotage? Rishma, I have to own this because I have to. I am supposed to be an expert in this. And I can fall victim to what I already know, where I'm looking at your social. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at Rishma. Like, look at her like life. And she's got this. And she's going on vacation. And look at her job. And look at all the parties she goes to. And I'm sitting there going like, wow, my life hashtag sucks. Now, what I got to remember, and I fall for it. So I can't imagine what people who, because again, this is all the game is being gamed against us. I have to remember, well, I don't know if that's really true. And if her life is so super extra and awesome, how does she have the time to post all this? And then I go back to those three things I talked about earlier. Why does she feel that she has to tell us all this? What is she? All right. Well, a lot of studies, most studies who, who look at this, they've shown that there is a reverse correlation between a person's happiness and satisfaction with life and the amount of content they post on social. So in other words, oh, yes. So what it means is, sorry, not sorry. The more someone posts on social it is in reverse direct correlation to how dissatisfied and how unhappy they are IRO. So you can look up these studies. So if you see that person who's just flexing all over the social and their life is awesome, chances are, now there are some variants to it, right? But chances are that it can show you the opposite. Mental health is defined as a state of well-being in which people understand their abilities, solve their everyday life problems, work well, and make a significant contribution to their communities. Our social relationships affect our mental health. It also affects our health behavior, physical health, mortality risk. And I'm not just talking about the quantity of our relationships, but also the quality of our relationships. One theory to explain the connection between social media and mental health is the displaced behavior theory. According to this theory, people who spend more time in sedentary behavior, such as scrolling their phones, have less time for face-to-face -face social interaction, which has been proven to be protective against mental disorders. So in this theory, it's less about the use of social media and more about the reduction of participation in other activities or face-to-face -face connections. Another theory is related to rapid task switching, also known as multitasking. 
that is encouraged by social media, this constant switching from one task to another. And that may be another root cause of depression. There are several other theories and other explanations, including reduction in sleep quality and quantity due to blue light and nighttime scrolling, and also the tendency to create superficial connections that aren't really friendships. Whatever the cause, the prolonged use of social media platforms has been related to negative signs and symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. Not to mention that social media can create a lot of pressure to create a stereotype of what others want to see and also trying to be as popular as others. So the main things to keep in mind from the research and from this interview are to foster deeper relationships in person, to get out and do stuff like activities, movement, social events, things like that, to think about what you're posting and why, and to put time limits, not just how long you're on your device, but also when you're on your device. For example, it's probably not great to be on it at nighttime before bed because it negatively impacts your sleep. Now, it's a process and a balance, and I'm working on it too, but try to recognize where you're at and be honest with your next steps while at the same time being compassionate with yourself if you need to try again. Now, my mother tried to raise me right, and she taught me that when I leave a party or I leave an event, that I should thank the host and or the hostess. My poor children from birthday parties, they used to hate it, but go thank Mrs. Mr. Whoever, Mr. and Mrs. Mr. and Mr. Whoever. I would make them go thank, they hated it. So. When I go to an event or a dinner or whatever, I thank. And I've been at dinners. You know where, where am I going with this, Rishma? No. <laughs> that our kids are losing their skill, their social interaction skills. <laughs> well, what I see is that, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen this. I'll be at a dinner. I'll be in an event. I'll be at something. I will watch someone go up and thank the host because, of course, right? And it's all before they're in their car, they've already posted on social media. Thank you, Rishma, for the beautiful dinner, the amazing events. I'm like, I just saw you thank her. So I'm looking at perhaps a nefarious or insecure motive. How about this? So you posted, I saw you thank that person. And then before you're at your car, you're already posting, thank you so much and showing everyone who was there. Okay, so I wasn't invited to. And I'm looking at this going like, wow. And what does that make me feel like? Like, I'm going to be like, Rishma, why didn't you invite me to your spot? But why is the person posting? So our motivation for posting anything, and that's why I say before you post, do you contemplate why you're posting it? What's your, what's your motivation? What do you need? And some kids and some adults say, I just need, I need valley, validation. I need affirmation. Well, be very careful because you might not get what you want. And they're so saturated that your post might be at the wrong time. And maybe people didn't see it or maybe. And then I also tell people, be careful because we're so bu busy trying to see and harvest and look at how many likes, shares, hearts. Oh my God, excellent, you're awesome. We forget about the people who are sitting out there and they're seeing it and they are making decisions too. 
I don't know if anyone really thinks that much about what they're posting or why. And sometimes we may think that we're just sharing about our lives or keeping up with our friends. He makes a really good point, though. It's interesting about our deeper thoughts or motivations and insecurities. This is why it's such a complex topic with so many variables, things that I'll admit I don't know how my kids or future generations will navigate. He also brought up a really important component, which is safety. I also, while we're here, I just want to make sure I don't forget this. One of the things when you're the guidelines, we had to add in because it's always changing what we're doing right now. Video. You need to be very, all of us, especially professionals, you know, doctors used to cut out the, their addresses on magazines and waiting rooms of people whose babies they delivered. And we have to be very careful about our privacy and safety online because now we are just showing everything, not just by content, but now there's a video aspect. And we have to be very careful about what is revealed behind us mm-hmm. and what people can see because they will make judgments. TikTok actually, the, um, uh, uh, what was the thing they were doing? Um, the, the metrics. Um, oh gosh, the, uh, they were showing that they're now collecting voice prints. They're looking at objects that are behind us. They're looking at where we are and they're collecting this data. So it, with video platforming people, it's new. Just remember what, and yes, I have read all these books and this is not fake. These are some important but scary points. Safety, especially with video and understanding that once something is posted online, it's there forever. Every single thing we post, every piece of content, every artifact, every collateral is now forever archived. Now, even if you delete it, you don't know someone screenshotted it and it's being beamed out into space. So even though you think you deleted it, and I tell the kids I work with from the time you start with social, especially, you are creating your autobiography. You are creating it, curating it, editing it and presenting it. But we need to remember that every single thing that we put out there is forever. We talked about another thing that as a parent and a parent of teens, I struggle with a lot. So I hate feeling like I'm doing a bad job, but it's a good reminder for me. And if you're a parent, hopefully you'll see this not as a judgment, but as a reminder too. One of my big banner billboard things is Absent presence versus present presence. So we know what present presence is. And we're even doing it through digital mediated communication right now, right? So we're still, we're present because we're looking at each other, we're connecting. And when we're in real life, you know, we know when we're present with someone, right? So what would be absent presence in terms of devices, do you think? Like you're on your phone while you're at dinner with your family? Well, first of all, I think if a device is on the table, it's on the table. And I always encourage, you know what, because here's that what I get from that is if I sit with you and we're make, I'm making this up, we're having a lunch date and we haven't seen each other and we sit down and you put your device on the table. What is the message to me? Even if you didn't mean it, what's the message to me? Yeah, if the phone rings, I'm going to get it. And it's more important than me being with you. It means that, yes, I'm important to you, but if there's an organic bid that's better, it's the equivalent of when you're at, and I'm sure this has never happened to you, it's happened to me. Uh, I'm at a party in real life, and someone comes up to me, and they're talking to me, and they're looking over my shoulder for a better bid. It feels awful. So even if you didn't mean it, if the phone is there, it means I'm important to you, but you'll accept a better bid. So I don't think anybody should ever 
have phones on the table, families, when you're with someone, put it away, turn it off. I'm telling you, the zombie apocalypse will probably not happen during that hour. And if it does, we've all seen the Walking Dead series. We know, just take your device and slam it through the head, through the head. Don't. So be present. But for parents, I think it's really important because absent presence means for any of us that we're there in corporal presence, but we're on our device. Now, when we're doing that, we absolutely could miss organic bids for connection. We could miss our best friend that we would have had walking by, the love of our life. We're so busy. Bids for connection. Everyone's like, how do I meet someone? Well, get off your device. But not being aware and not being willing, you could miss out because online, everything, like I said, is archived. And if you feel like you missed something, you were talking about taking a digital detox, maybe, or a break. Oh, the good news is if it's if it's on a device, it is digitally archived forever, being beamed out to space. So, uh, but real life only happens once. If you miss an opportunity once, it's gone forever. So if you decide to go off of any social or anything, oh, good news, you'll miss nothing. You can always go back in. It's like the never-ending jump rope game. You can always go back in and see what you missed. You probably didn't miss a lot. During the developmental stage, when kids learn attachment, secure attachment, insecure attachment, if you are on your device, the kid doesn't know. All they know is they're trying to get your attention. And I really, really want parents, it's my research right now, I really want parents to be mindful about being on their device around their kids because the message to the kid is you're not as important What you have to tell me is not important. And the kid's trying to get mommy, daddy, caregiver's attention. And you could really imprint them with a form of insecure attachment or a rupture of attachment that you never intended because you're on your device. So that's something with absent presence with parents. I really am talking about and researching and studying right now. But even with friends, being an absent presence, meaning you're there, but you're on your device. You're not really there. And I just want to clarify too, because you mentioned attachment, which we always talk about in toddler years, but kids' brains don't really form until they're in their 20s, like early 20s. So this could actually be, I mean, especially with teenagers who are going through so much, they only talk in this like one moment. If you miss it, it's done. And they just leave. Like you have to be there all the time. Okay. So yeah. So the teen, so the, the human brain doesn't form fully until it prunes and learns until about 25 or 26. Yes. So the developmental stage of attachment is important, but what I, cause I work with teens, I tell parents and I've had teens, you know, it's like I have my own. So there might be that one moment where they feel vulnerable or maybe they couldn't get any of their friends on social and no one was hitting them back. So like, okay. And they want to talk to you. They want to ask you something and they come downstairs or they come into the other room and they want to ask you, you'll miss it. I love that you said that because it's so true and you will have missed an opportunity. If you're still with me this far, you know, I need to get to the really scary stuff. Dr. Grant wouldn't end our talk without mentioning the stuff that as parents, we stay up at night worrying about, but we also really need to know about. So the online disinhibition effect is a phenomenon that means that we are more likely to say things, do things, behave in ways protected by the veil of, com- of device or technology mediated communication that we would never ever say or do or behave like IRL in real life. Now, there are some great pieces of this if they're done carefully for people who are you know questioning 
gender, sexuality, uh, political beliefs, uh, addiction, things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great, if you, if you wouldn't do it in real life, whatever, I encourage you to do it. But if you won't, there's a lot of learning things. There's a lot of things that, but there's also a very dark side to it. Because the trolling, the cyberbullying, the tricky behavior, the subtle, subtle, just some subtle ways that especially social media can be wielded amongst friends. And as a teaser, the whole reason all those years ago I got into this was because I was trying to be a good dad. And in 2007, my little princesses have me wrapped. I'm not going to lie. I own it. They do. They're amazing. They're those are my life. They're amazing. They can have anything. They're great kids. Amazing kids. I thank their mother for that. Um, but they're great kids. But I gave them an iPhone. I gave my daughter an iPhone. And something happened that we now know is a very, very subtle form of cyberbullying. All it was was she was left out of a picture but it destroyed her. And I realized I'd handed my daughter a potential weapon. I didn't understand it. So I also encourage parents, when you give them these phones, when you give them Xboxes, Playstations, allow them to be on, you are allowing them to go play wherever they want. So the way that social media, is among friends, friends, fake yeah. friends, friends, it's very subtle. It's almost worse though, because you, oh. you trust these people. We have to say this because it's true. So depression, anxiety, self-harm, and suicide, and one, of course, is too many, was stabilized for decades, Rishma, decades amongst teens. And then in 2012, we started seeing this crazy increase in it that we couldn't understand. And as researchers and people who do what I do, we want to know why. So we're trying to figure out why. Now, full transparency. Absolute disclaimer, my hypothesis, not yet proven. And I'm sure there's many variables of why, and we've identified some potentials. But you cannot tell me, I'm saying it, you cannot tell me that we started seeing depression, anxiety, and the rest with kids really starting to come out of nowhere and spike in 2012. And Instagram and Snapchat were launched in 2011 comparing, despairing. We're just trying to prove it. Look, as scary as social media is, it's the way our kids communicate these days. They need to be on to stay connected. And our generation probably doesn't understand that, or at least I don't. I'm an old school meet for lunch or call people on the phone person. I don't even text that much. Seriously, I call people to wish them happy birthday, like actually call them. <laughs> but I too have given my kids a phone they need to have some independence, and I'm trying to stay on top of any issues that arise. I don't have all the answers. In fact, as I work on this episode, I am super aware that my kids are currently, in this very moment, on their devices. But we do the best we can. We learn. We grow. And we just do our best. I'm trying to communicate with my kids about why I'm concerned allow them to have some freedom while also giving them boundaries. And I'm trying to model that myself, what I want them to learn. Thank everyone for, if you listen to this, and please support Rishma. She's the real deal. She's legit. Please support her podcast. If you have any questions, she knows where to find me, but you can probably find me too. My name is Dr. Don Grant. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I would love to know your thoughts on this subject. Feel free to reach out to me and message me directly at hello at livingxo.com. I know it sounds like an administrative email, but it is mine. I check it. I just didn't put my name on it because most people don't remember how to spell my name. (laughs) So hello at livingxo.com, I think is easier to remember. I'm interested in your challenges, the things that keep you connected to social media or the things that you think about in life in general. I try to respond to all the messages. So please send me a note anytime. It really means a lot to stay connected to you. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. Personally, it's really nice to know that you're out there and listening and enjoying the podcast. And it also helps other people find the podcast so that they can listen too. You can forward this episode to someone who you think might be interested in this topic because it's something that we all probably need to think about. And for more resources and workshops, check out the website livingxo.com. Until next time. Mm